I'm Daniel Giacopelli. It's the 15th of May, and this is The Courier Daily. We've been talking with small business owners all over the world for the past seven weeks to hear how they're surviving, adapting, and finding opportunities in the crisis. A bit later on, we'll hear from Courier columnist Fleur Emery, who's been catching up with manufacturers and hearing how they're coping, and also some opportunities for brands. First, though, we're with Glenn Burroughs. He's the co-founder of The Ethical Butcher, which is pretty much what it sounds like. An e-commerce butcher that sells some of the most ethically sourced meat you can buy, with transparency and traceability. Glenn, who was for decades a vegetarian, launched the service with his co-founder Farshad in February, literally right as coronavirus hit. I caught up with Glenn just a bit earlier to hear his backstory, how he dealt with the huge spike in demand when people started to panic buy, and what he's learned in the past few months. We went live about three weeks before the lockdown started. We launched on the back of a really good bit of press. We had a two-page piece in the Times that interviewed me. They, they loved the story of the act vegetarian become, you know, butcher. We launched on the back of that. And our first day of trading, we thought was fantastic. You know, we'd taken whatever it was, like three and a half thousand pounds on our first day of trading. We were like, yes, you know, here we go. And then on the second day, we took 1,500 pounds. And then three days later, I think four days later, we had a day where we didn't take any money at all. And we we're like, ah, okay. Right, campaign two, what are we going to do? How do we keep the momentum going? So, because by all the people that had bought from us in the first few days had enough food to keep them going for like a couple of weeks. So, we hadn't yet seen the buying patterns and we needed to attract new customers. So, we appointed an agency to do paid digital and we got all the assets together. So, I've, you know, I've been creating all, all the film content and all the still content. And we decided this agency had promised a return of between seven times and 12 times as the average return on investment for pay digital. The first day we launched pay digital was the first day of lockdown. And that day we took nine and a half thousand pounds, but it completely broadsided us because we were in the weeks before and the three weeks before we'd had days where we were packing eight boxes a day, 10 boxes a day. Suddenly we had orders for 150 boxes a day. And this is multiple items, people choosing off the website, 12 to 15 different things, a steak here, a burger there, da, 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 da. And we only had like two people working in the warehouse. There was absolutely no chance. It was complete chaos. We didn't realize how bad our systems were until they were overloaded in terms of what we do with an order coming into our website and it going out of the door. We had no real process for that. And did that result in a lot of you know delayed orders or mistaken orders and errors? And a lot of just crazy long hours by you know the, the Farshad and myself. We, we did a couple of 20 hour days leading up to Easter. You know, we rolled out at 2 a.m. and we we're back at six. We hired people as quickly as we could, but when you hire somebody, you've got to teach them what to do. So there was this whole, but we ended up going from two employees to nine employees in in like a couple of weeks. We had to close the website twice just because we couldn't cope with the number of orders that were coming in. We made a promise on social media because everybody was panic buying at that stage. And this was a combination of the paid advertisements and the lockdown where people just were doing e-commerce more. Yeah, at the beginning of lockdown, there was a, people panicked. People were panic buying because they thought everything was going to shut. They weren't going to be able to get food. And I think what happened is the first day of lockdown, suddenly you've got people with super active minds absorbing all this media who suddenly aren't at work and they're looking at social media more. They get hit by all these ads. They were just buying from their phones. I mean, most of the orders came through, came through from people's phones. They weren't even going to their desktop. They were just ordering, ordering from devices. 
yeah, it, it, it was crazy. So we, we got to a point where we put a cutoff and said, because our delivery people wouldn't deliver over Easter. So we had to draw a line in the sand and say, if you place an order before this time, which I think was the Tuesday before Good Friday, we will guarantee that we'll get your order out to you. At that point, we just closed our website down. We closed our Shopify site down. We just made all items unavailable. And we had a backlog of 450 orders to clear in two days. We just got everybody we could in to help pack, to, you know, to vac pack, to cut, to label, to, you know. We got our 450 orders out of the door before Easter. There's a lot of mistakes. There's a lot of things wrong, a lot of missed deliveries because APC were also completely overloaded at the time. But within that time, when we actually got past Easter and we were able to take a breath, I think we'd done a year's worth of learning in 10 days. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I wonder, do you think the lesson is, you know, to have all of these processes in place for every possible scenario? Or actually, is the lesson, you just have to play it by ear every single day and see what happens. And, you know, life is unpredictable and you just do what you got to do. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that because had we had the resources, if we'd have spent the money to prepare for that without it happening, we would have gone bankrupt. During that time for Easter, we had three full-time butchers, we had cleaners, packers, and a floor manager. I mean, the business could no way have supported that number of people without the, without the lockdown happening. So I think the thing is, is just be as adaptable as you possibly can. It's, it was kind of a case of rolling with the punches. We had no significant capital left to to be able to weather out changes so we just had to be extremely reactive have sales continued to skyrocket or have they leveled off a bit they've leveled off to a really comfortable position now so i think you know we're one of the few businesses that had a had an advantage from a lockdown but i think now people's buying habits have definitely settled and i i would like to think that the, the sale levels we're at now are indicative of what will happen when people have freedom again, because I'd like to think that 70% of our business week in, week out is now return business. So people have tried us, I think, like the product and trust us and the convenience of it and the ethics of it. And so we're getting a lot of people coming back. And now, obviously, it's a bit harder to get that trickle to get the, the new customers coming in than it was initially. That first return on investment of the paid digital was, was 19 times. To make that nine and a half thousand pounds, I think we'd spent 500 pounds on paid digital for that day and it returned nine and a half thousand. So those kind of returns don't happen anymore. I see potentially two different paths here for consumer demand. I mean, on the one hand, you have people who are taking this time to focus on quality things and quality food and quality products. And on the other hand, you have people who are furloughed and out of a job who don't have the money to do that. They're spending less on cheaper things just out of necessity. Do you see these as like two competing things going forward or what's your take on it? Our prices are quite high. Our products are expensive. We actually have made some mistakes on our pricing and some of the things that we're being accused of selling at a high price, we'd actually worked out we were making a loss on. The fact is, quality costs, we pay the farmers a lot more money than they get from the supermarkets. We're paying them direct. The animals have had almost twice as long a life. So, you know, there's extra costs there for the farmer, not in terms of inputs, but in terms of physically how many animals they can keep on a set amount of land that they're looking after. So, you know, the product is more expensive and um, that does limit the people that can afford it. And a good example of this is the difference that we saw between the editorial we had in the Times 
versus I did a piece on joe.co.uk which had you know half a million views and barely resulted in any increased sales because it's reaching a different demographic. Whereas the Times, maybe, I don't know, it was tens or hundreds of thousands of people that saw that, had a massive, massive difference. We know who our customers are really, and it is people with more money. It's, it's a, you know, we're a luxury product at the moment. But the intention really is from a brand perspective is to be positioned as a luxury and lifestyle brand to create that sense of desire so that as we grow and the prices come down, it's a bit like a fashion brand doing a diffusion line. You know, it's the same principle. The more farmers we get to produce for us, we can drive the prices down, we can offer it out to more people because, you know, not just from a business point of view, but we do see ourselves as environmentalists. You know, we we see ourselves as, as doing good for the world and for our customers and for our customers' health. Glenn Burroughs there, co-founder of The Ethical Butcher. Next up, as promised, I'm here with Courier columnist and startup expert Fleur Emery. Fleur, who have you been talking to, what have you heard, and what should we know? For a long time, I manufactured products in partnership with factories. And I stayed in touch with a lot of them. You know, you kind of go through a lot with that relationship. And those relationships have kind of lasted for me. I was worried about them. I was, you know, there's two food manufacturers and a clothing manufacturer who's a friend. And I was kind of concerned and just thinking, you know, I wonder what's going on for them. And I was nervous about emailing them to ask them how they were. And when I did, you know, the answer is that if you're a manufacturer right now, you know, there's a kind of, you have a spread of customers. If all of your customers were, you know, hospitality or travel, things are looking really bad for you. And it's by chance, really, who, what kind of customers you, you pick up. I mean, I know from when I manufactured stuff, when I, you know, sold food into retail, we made a conscious decision to mitigate the risk of Waitrose delisting us by selling into travel customers and into hotels. But we weren't thinking you got to sell into other types of customers in case that whole sector collapses. It didn't make that calculation. So now what these guys are facing is that whole sectors are collapsing and some of them are fine because they just produce branded stuff for people and some of them aren't. The reason it's interesting from my point of view, working with small brands is a big part of what I do is, you know, young novice entrepreneurs come to me and they say, I've got this product. I want to get it made. How can I do that? And the process is not easy. It's pretty hard. When you go to a factory owner, you knock on the door, you say, hi, my name's Fleur Emery. I want you to make this porridge for me. I don't have a customer. And I've never done it before. It's, you know, it's hard to get these guys to take a punt on you because you're a massive risk. They have low margins. They have huge overheads. They've got all their fire extinguishers and their HR bills to think of. But now that barrier is being taken away, you guys. So if you've been selling chocolate brownies on the market or doing door-to-door deliveries of, you know, whatever, or making T-shirts and you want to get it manufactured suddenly a big, big hurdle has been taken away and the quality control kind of filter that these manufacturers normally had screwed on very tightly when you walked in the door has been loosened because, you know, there's bandwidth on their factories and they want to be making stuff. It's a really interesting time, you know, that corny expression of like shaking up the snow globe. That's kind of happening. There's a lot of factories which are quite empty and need to make stuff. And if you're clever enough and you've got the wherewithal to go and connect up with one of those people, you know, this could be a great time for you. 
And that's it for today. If you liked what you heard, I'd love if you could subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts. And also sign up to our email newsletter, Courier Weekly, for more stories of adapting and growing. That's at couriermedia.co slash sign up. I'm Daniel Giacopelli. Courier Daily's back again on Monday.